Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone band. Whitley, all the way across the snow-driven Atlantic Ocean, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good evening. Good it's, evening. Early, it's earlier in the UK as well. Because yeah, I was going to talk about that, actually, so I'm, I'm glad you're time, time has slipped again. So, you guys have lost it now? Uh, well, it's 7pm. 7, 7 we haven't changed, you have. Yeah. So, I mean, this whole thing is crazy. Why don't, I mean, this should be, don't you think that, like, should be international time? Well, this should, the, the, well, there is for things like navigation, aviation, shipping, weather, space. So they blah, call blah, Greenwich, blah. Greenwich Mean Time? Uh, well, they, you know, they call it UTC, Universal Time Coordinate, but it's the same as GMT. Greenwich Mean Time. So, I mean, what the hell? Let's get rid of daylight savings time altogether. Uh, I some... tried that, and uh, didn't America do it in the war as well? Double daylight saving and we, all sorts we of weird actually things. Have, we have actually places in this country that uh, don't have it. Uh, and what's even weirder, right, is like, I think Puerto Rico adapted it as I can't forget which one it is now. Uh, but they, they're like fall back an hour and, and there are other ones that are uh, trying to adapt it at like fall ahead of hour so the whole thing's totally effed up so I think that, that some supreme power should step in and say alright let's get away with damn daylight savings time and just do it because it, it's just ridiculous well I agree and there's been moves here in the UK in the last few years to change it but when I was a kid in the 60s, there was we did an experiment, uh, I can't remember if it was one or two years, where they didn't change the clocks and they kept it on Greenwich Mean Time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it meant, it was really cool because we were going to school in the dark. Mm-hmm. It was light when we came home, but it was, we were going to, but apparently the number of accidents or, you know, they changed it back again. So You, uh, you know, the funny part about that is I, I just saw a study, uh, just yesterday actually, and um, when we, we we're in uh, daylight, so we spring ahead, so we lose an hour's sleep. They found out there is actually more accidents, work-related accidents, when we spring the clock ahead one hour. So that one hour's sleep evidently makes a difference. Also, there is uh, a greater uh, amount of strokes as well. Uh, when we spring that hour ahead, it, so uh, there's a couple other things that they put in there too. But uh, so it does affect the human body. Uh, Definitely. It, you know, I mean, gr- nice. I mean, you like you say, it's nice to get up when the sun's up and, and go to school when the sun's up. So that safety-wise, you can see that's yeah, okay, people can see them. But yet, it has an adverse effect as well because 
evidently the body needs that extra hour. When it's taken away from it, it screws everything up. Definitely. There's an, inter- there's an interesting, you know, this idea of time and the paranormal. Um, oh, God, don't use that. Well, I mean, there are ghosts that are said to appear at the same time every day. Does that even make sense? Well, you know, according to the stories, mm-hmm. you know, the ghost appears at the stroke yeah, of midnight. Or, well, the, the stroke of midnight. That's another one, but let's stick to time, uh, the date. Uh, yeah. right, this, this idea of you know after stroke of midnight, the phantom walks. The, the ghosts know when the clocks change because the other thing, the other weird thing is a lot of ghosts are said to be um, you know medieval monks and nuns and yeah. But we changed, and these these are uh, you know said to be anniversary ghosts like Anne Boleyn and uh, Mary Queen of Scots. But we changed our calendar in the 17th century. We went from the Gregorian to the Julian, the other way around. Uh, yeah. We went between the Gregorian and the Julian calendars. And we lost eight days. Um, so, yeah, the ghosts know this. Do they adapt? Are they, yeah, yeah, we have leap year, which loses yeah. our game. I mean, can ghosts be aware of these time shifts? That's the thing. I mean, I, I don't know. And, and the other thing is, and I mean, I, I, I will bow to you on this because you are more knowledgeable than me. Uh, so uh, we only see ghosts in a certain period of time. In other words, the farther you get back in time, the less ghosts to see. And we're talking about now. We're not talking about then. So, for instance, we're talking in 2018 we see less ghosts from a certain period, and from the farther back we go, the less and less we see. Is, is that true, Steve? Um, possibly. I mean, there are ghosts... That's, that, that's a good definitive, yes. <laughs> I mean, ghosts, ghosts, or sorry, hauntings do tend to fade away, but whether they fade in reality or whether they fade out from memory, you know, because they cease to become... At the moment, we've got the situation which we've talked about on the show previously, where Buildings that didn't have ghosts now have more and more ghosts, or only had one or two ghosts have now got dozens of ghosts. Mm. The opposite could all be, because that's down to popular culture being inter- more interested and more people going and more people saying that they're having experiences. Could it just be that the ghost simply fades from memory because people don't visit a place, they don't, they're not interested in the spectre that's there, and so the stories stop? Mm-hmm. They stop. They they stop being renewed. They, they, I mean, there are ghosts that go back to. We've got ghosts of Roman soldiers, most famously, of course, in York. Uh, that was too, you know. So the ghost there must be two thousand years old. But that was more. If if you if we take the the definition of intelligent haunting versus uh, residual haunting, that was more of a residual haunting, and that it wasn't very interactive. Correct. Uh it didn't interact with the witness. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. Um, and, the, and, and, and one, one more statement on, on your ghost thing is it brings us to the, the, the theory that uh, if there's a, a haunted if, if there's a haunted house and there are no people around, are there ghosts still there? And you know that's no. kind of what we're discussing, right? Well, well, that's one of the, the intriguing questions because there have been attempts by organisations, um, including parasites in the past, mm-hmm. to remotely monitor a haunted building and of course it's done on several of the television shows where they set up web cameras or oh, yeah. blah 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 but 
ghost, uh, seeing or experiencing a ghost or a haunting is about that, isn't it? It's a human experience. And it's all very well, and this is why we don't do it anymore. It's all very well having, you know, really weird temperature data or some really weird sound stuff. But unless somebody was there at the same time to say, I saw a ghost, um, you know, I felt cold and then this ghost appeared, it's pretty meaningless because you've just got an interesting anomaly in the environment. But without any... In order to make it paranormal, there's got to be somebody there to say it was really weird and I felt weird and it was paranormal. So I would say that in a haunted building without a person to experience the ghost, it doesn't really count because experiencing a ghost or a haunting is about experiencing it. And if you're not there to experience it, on the other hand, on the other hand, hand, that doesn't have to say the anomaly doesn't still take place. Right. But on the other hand, if we have a witness who says uh, he had an experience, experience, for instance, that he was there and it was really cold, if we didn't have the data to go along with it, it was just an interesting story. Well, you have a subjective account of somebody. Exactly. Now, research has shown that the human is absolutely rubbish at uh, <laughs> defining an experience. For example, and temperature is a good example because oh. people will say the room went icy cold. It was like walking into a freezer. Now, not many people have ever walked into a freezer. Unless you're a butcher. Unless you're a butcher. Um so that is something now we did some measurements a few years ago where we were testing this idea of temp, real measured temperature change versus what people actually report mm-hmm. and people will report much greater magnitudes of change than the reality so you could change the temperature by two degrees and they would report that the room had become icy cold when in actual fact it was still relatively warm mm-hmm. um also, that people will report the wrong change. So people will report the room got colder when, in actual fact, the temperature increased, mm-hmm. or vice versa. And there's an, it, interesting, there's an interesting experiment that anybody listening to this show can do. Um, and okay. maybe, maybe he's already wondered, wondered anyway. If you get into a really hot bath or a really hot shower... Um, the minute your skin hits or the, the, the hot water hits your skin, you shiver. Mm-hmm. Um, an involuntary shiver. Now, shivering is a cold response. But the, why it works is the cold receptors are slightly nearer the surface of the skin than the heat receptors. Mm-hmm. So they actually trigger first. So you, your body, your, your brain, first of all, gets this electrical signal from the cold receptors to say it's very cold. And then it checks itself and says, actually, no, it's really, really hot. And so you you find that people will shiver uh, momentarily when they get into a very hot bath or shower. But we know that people are rubbish at report. But when we say rubbish... Give you a simple example. You're married, Steve, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So you ever been sitting on on the couch or or whatever you British call it uh, with your wife... Or is it, is it couch or couch? Or, I'm not whatever. Anyways, sofa settee. Yeah, right. So you're sitting there with the wife, and she say, "Oh, put the heat up. I'm cold." And you're sitting there perfectly fine. 
Or you might even be warm. Is that a Oh, it's, yeah, oh, that happens daily in our house. I, so, I, I, I'm the cold one and she's the warm one. You so, know, so there you go. I mean, it's... I, it's know, I'm, I'm tucked up with a hot water bottle and... Um, unfortunately, we, we never get calibrated, do we, as a human? No, no. I mean, I, I'm literally, I'm sat there with, um, you know, with, with a hot water bottle and three layers <laughs> of, of j- jackets on. And... You know, cats throwing the, the the blankets off, saying, "Oh, it's hot in here. It's so hot. I'm 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 really hot." Um, and and you know, there's a joke between myself and Anne Winsborough. You know, Anne from Parascience. Um, he's been on the show a number of times. The the temperature has to be you know in the 80s before she feels warm. <laughs> Below that, you know, she's ice. You know, she's permanently cold. We do have you know an internal uh, temperature system. Um, mm-hmm that we regulate, and each individual is different. You know, you might be... Uh, and you, you also see it when people come back from um, a temperate holiday. They, they go somewhere like Florida for their holidays, and they get back to New England, mm-hmm. and they think it's very, very cold, and they'll turn up the heating, and after a few days, they'll turn the heating back down because they've acclimatized. Mm-hmm. So, but people... What's also interesting when we look at the language that people use when they describe these experiences and relating to temperature, it went icy cold, it was like walking into a freezer, blah, 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 is they're not actually describing the actual um, temperature. What they're trying to do is convey the experience to somebody who wasn't there. So it had, when they when they're using these big descriptive terms um like it was like walking into a freezer they're not literally saying that what they're actually saying is uh to someone who didn't have the experience and the how how profound the experience was for them or how shocking and surprising they exaggerate the words to try and convey the magnitude of the uh, impact upon them so you have this this sort of twofold a they're rubbish at feeling the temperature change and b they know that you weren't there and they're trying to convey the effect it had upon them <clears throat> so they they tend to use exaggerated uh, expressions to you know to convey their shock their surprise their, their uh, you know, the 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 effect of the experience that they had to somebody who didn't experience it so language when you're talking to a witness in in an investigation sense language and what they say is actually incredibly important because it gives you not only the actual description of the experience but a great deal of information about the effect of the experience on that person by the choice of language and words that they're using so if they're using grand exaggerated terms it usually means the experience was quite surprising or shocking or, uh, you know, unexpected to the person. So is it, it, so it is our job then as paranormal investigators to take this flowery language and actually turn it into something that makes, uh, not, I'm not going to say makes sense, but is more accurate. Um. In a, well, to understand, well, not to make with, it, with to, our with our equipment and stuff. Well, we shouldn't change what the witness says because no, that is that is a I, fantastic insight into the nature so of the experience. So, are we cali- calibrating what they say then? We can't. We can't measure um, 
the we can measure the temperature, but we can't measure the effect upon that individual. Sure. Sure. Or we can, but language does give us a means of understanding the effect. So, as I said before, if they're using big, exaggerated terms, it usually means that the effect was, a, you know, had a dramatic impact upon them. Uh, and that's why, for example, when you know when you're interviewing somebody, um, what they say, it, it, you know, if you can record it rather than transcribe it into Makes writing, yeah. uh, you actually have the you know the original account uh, and the original insight into it. One of the things that we've always done as investigators, realizing this, um, is we never allow investigators to rewrite their notes. It doesn't matter how squibbly or... You know, you told me that on the show before, and I thought that is a great idea. You know, a great idea. Uh, you're absolutely right, because the further you get away from a thing, the yeah. further your mind works, and uh, yeah. you're not truly really accurate anymore. Yeah, I mean, the next, even the next morning, you know, once the sun's come up and you've had a sleep, you will start to rationalize the experience and, and downgrade it and downplay it. Right. Um, and if you or let even somebody... see it entirely different. Yeah, I mean, if you if you let people take their notes home with them and say, "Oh, well, I'll send you a, 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 I'll send you a typed copy," they will they will change things because they say, oh, "It doesn't read right," or "I didn't mean to say that," or "That doesn't," you know, "That makes me look foolish," or "That exactly. makes me look." So they will start to alter the, and that's you've then lost that inf- that important information, where which is. Not not the description of the event, but the impact of the event upon the individual. I agree. So language is incredibly helpful. And as investigators, getting to the nub, the root of the experience is, is all we can ever hope to do because we weren't there. We weren't there when that person saw the ghost or heard the sound or smelled the smell. Um, so language gives us the greatest insight into that experience and so we have to protect this uh, like we do with every other piece of information that we get it's you know to throw it away would be foolhardy. to me i i remember uh watching the ghost hunters uh when they first came on the air years ago and at that time they were doing a lot of debunking and it always killed me that uh Instead of saying, oh, this is a possible explanation for what the witness experienced or what the person experienced, they would say, oh, this is how it was done. Uh, To give you an example, I remember uh, this one place. They were in a house, and and the witness was in the basement, and she smelled this perfume smell uh, in the basement. And and there was some other stuff going on, but I'm just taking this one particular facet of, of the thing so the the ghost hunters went in there and, and what they did is they went out and they got uh some uh uh hot uh, was it air fresher fruit flowers smell it air fresher or whatever and went up to the bulkhead and sprayed it through the the bulkhead uh cracks in the bulkhead and see if they could smell it inside and of course they could smell it inside but the key to that whole thing, and then they said, "Okay, see, so probably they someone they just smelled the flowers from outside, and that was their how they debunked that witness." And to me, that wasn't debunking. All you, all you did is okay. First of all, you didn't prove anything. All you proved is that you can smell air freshener being squirted through a bulkhead. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, and and you know it doesn't even fit, fit your hypothesis that you were possibly smelling flowers from outside because that's not even what you proved. Uh, so it, it, it's stuff like that that really always irritated me. It's you know you come up with these ideas and people try to dis- debunk it, which is a word I absolutely hate. I don't like that word either. Yeah, and so um, you know, and they come up with this stuff and they say, okay, see, there you go, poop, poop, da da, all done. But that's not the way it is. You, you, it's just because it's a possible explanation, it does not mean that's absolutely what the witness experienced at that time. No, and that's always been the problem with a lot of replication studies. For example, Richard Wiseman here in the UK went to oh, yeah. a, a Scottish castle, Tantallon, mm-hmm. where a, a, a photograph had been taken that showed an apparent figure um, peering out through railings on, uh, from an upstairs balcony or gallery. And he... He went up there and, you know, he stood there and he, he produced something It was similar. Mm-hmm. And he said, there you go, know, that's how it was done. Well, of course, the, the immediate problem was he was, uh, the picture was taken, for example, I don't know the details. but the Yeah, point, I know, it's it, okay. It's hypothesis. In, in, in order to replicate it, you know, if it was taken at 8 p.m. on the 21st of March 2015, yeah. the sun would be in a very particular place. The cloud cover would be in a particular arrangement. Mm-hmm. And his argument was that the light was producing this effect. But he went back on, you know, at a, the 3 o'clock in the afternoon in August or September, and that is not, you know, the lighting conditions, the weather conditions, things were very different. And so his claim that there you go, the lighting produced it doesn't stand doesn't stand scrutiny because the lighting conditions were not the same. What what Richard and these these debunkers show is a possible mechanism that may offer some insight into what took place, mm-hmm. but doesn't offer any proof of what took place. Now you know you know I've been banging on about orbs for years, and for for the longest really? time. Yeah, for the longest time, um, we we were faced with a problem because we we were able to you know we we convinced we were able to convince ourselves that these things were a camera anomaly that this was dust and stuff floating around in front of the lens, and we could you know we could make them to order blah blah blah, but that we that was never we were never able to go the extra step and say that two pictures taken at exactly the same moment with exactly the same camera settings, um, and if one produced an orb and one didn't, then you could show you know, the effect that we were looking for, this orb zone phenomena, um, until, the, until that 3D camera came out, which had two identical separate camera systems in the same body. So we were able to say, yes, here is a mechanism that offers us an insight and a potential way of um, looking at the phenomena, but it doesn't prove anything. It was the final, it was the existence of the 3D camera that allowed us to prove that we could do it over and over and over, and that two identical pictures taken with the same camera settings at the same time um, were, you know, were, 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 were proof of, the, uh, the test that we that we uh, implemented, the hypothesis that we were testing. Mm-hmm. So this idea that you can simply spray something into the air and say, "There you go, that's that's it, you know, case proved, move on," is Thank is you. a complete is a complete nonsense, mm-hmm. absolute nonsense. And this is unfortunately what a lot of debunkers do because they go in, 
they they test an idea and it might work it might show something similar even very very similar you know almost identical but it unless it was done under identical circumstances and conditions and taking into account you know the the even the technology you know was the recorder the same recorder was the recorder placed in the same place mm-hmm. the micro was the same microphone used was the same memory card used um, you know were the settings the same you can't show that uh, anything other than there is a strong case that it is similar and that this mm-hmm. is the cause, but it's not proof of anything. Right. I mean, that's that's part of the, the problems we have as paranormal investigators that we, we don't have uh, laboratory um, conditions uh, when, when we do investigating. Uh, it's far from it. Well, that's. I think that's something that... that not just, I think we have to accept, you know, parapsychology is not psychical research or ghost hunting. The two of them are separate. Mm-hmm. In parapsychology, they have access to laboratories where they can set up experiments and control their environments and control the variables. Um, we have to deal with the real world, you know, people's homes and offices and haunted mm-hmm. castles and what, what have you. What we have to try and do is extract usable data from effectively a chaotic situation now there are ways that we can impose some degree of control for example simply put you know if you're looking for a noise phenomena then make the place quiet you know get everybody to be you know stop moving about stop speaking there is a simple control that you can impose uh, mm-hmm. it's not perfect but you if you acknowledge the imperfections and try to uh, utilize them rather than i mean it's a complete nonsense to change everything for example if the ghost is said to be experienced at 3 a.m um you know by the side of the bed what the hell are you doing there at seven o'clock in the morning right that brings us first? back to the old time thing too <laughs> exactly exactly in order to perform a replication you have to make it as close to the original event as is possible and many ghost hunters don't they just go along with their k2 meters and they wander aimlessly around the building looking for anything that's strange and bizarre and i know we're coming up to an ad break but i'll give you one quick example if you go on holiday and you're taking holiday snaps of the tower of london you will you know you'll go home you'll put them on your computer you'll look at your holiday snaps and you'll be happy if you're a ghost hunter you'll go to the tower of london and you will scrutinize every square inch every of your photograph for some for some anomaly now there isn't a digital camera in existence yet that will not produce one or two anomalies every so often as it writes the the picture to its memory Mm -hmm. They're not proof of the paranormal. That's just a camera doing what technology does. But it's the way that you look upon it and the way that you interpret these phenomena, these anomalies. Mm, I agree, so. Unfortunately, we're coming up to the break now, but uh, it's all intriguing. It's good stuff. Time, replication, debunking. It's, it's all interesting conversation. But anyways, you're listening to Ghost Chronicle International right here with uh, Steve Parsons and Ron Kolick on Tojanet and Parax Radio. And, uh, oh, yeah. So there you go. Anyways, tune in uh, right after the break because we'll still be here. We'll be right back.
Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Welcome back to part two of Ghost Chronicles, the international edition. No guest tonight because Ron and I are chewing the fat about things paranormal and time. Time is on. Time because mm. it's a different time. Well, it's always a different time in America and the UK, but tonight we're an hour closer instead of being five hours apart. We're only a mere four hours apart. So America, four hours. America has shifted 30 degrees east. We have? Apparently, because that's uh, three, 30 degrees east um, is an hour. So, um, yeah, mm. hello. Hello, you're nearer. <laughs> there you go. Actually, do you know, one of the one of the weird things is flying the Atlantic. Um, and it's, it's not as weird as it used to be in the days of Concord, of course, when you could leave London um, at breakfast time and actually arrive in New York and in time for breakfast. Yeah, because, I love that. Because the Concorde could do that, that sort of, it could actually fly forwards in time. Well, like, it didn't. It was, it was so close. Yeah. It, it basically it wiped out the time zone. Um, and coming back, of course, from is Concorde, that man-made thing again? It is because we construct time. And of course, on the opposite side of the world, from uh, we live very close to the Greenwich Meridian here in the UK, which is the line zero of time, which runs through Greenwich in uh, in, in London. Um, on the opposite side of the world, 180 degrees around from us in the Pacific Ocean, there is a there is the 180 degree timeline where, um, and they they do this each year around New Year's Eve um, as a, as a sort of weird uh, trick of time. Mm-hmm. Um, one side of the dateline is an entire 24 hour different than the other side of the dateline, 
and so it's possible to have New Year's Day uh, several times um, by crossing the date line on these, some of these commercial flights that they do. Yeah. The other weird thing they, that they offer is for those for those um, people who don't like New Year celebrations um, for whatever reason, they have a jet I think leaves Auckland, New Zealand, and then flies to Vanuatu in on one of these Pacific Islands. Um, and because of its flight direction, it actually skips New Year's Day entirely. Um, so they go. go from December 31st to January 2nd. I have actually out. two questions for you. Yeah. One of them is how did they determine the Meridian line timeline? Why did they chose that? And the, the second part of that, is there increase, less increase, or no difference in paranormal activity on the Meridian line? Uh, do you know what? I'm actually Googling the response to that because um, why is the Prime Meridian, as it's called, in Greenwich? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I know it is in Greenwich. and I know, I, I know that too. I, I know roughly is, the answer to the question. Yeah, well, I know roughly, but I wanted to make sure it was, it yeah, was correct. Okay. And um, why it was chosen, um, there, were, there was actually, according to, and it's not Wikipedia, that's the <laughs> Astro- Astronomical Society, there are two reasons for the choice. The first was the fact that the United States had already chosen Greenwich as the basis of its own national time zone system. And the second was that in the late 19th century, 72% of the world's commerce depended on sea charts. And they also used Greenwich, which was in line with the London docks, as the zero meridian for navigation. So upon that basis of the two, the, the two arguments... Uh, Greenwich was yeah. no How, did, how yeah. do you think the hell that ever came up about Steve? I mean, it, well, was, it, was down to, it, it was down to world trade ultimately because. Yeah, but I mean, how did they come up with? It? I mean, like you know, what you know, you're, you're cruising around in your ships. When when was it? When was it officially? Well, uh, officially, officially yeah. in in 1884. Okay, so back in the 1700s, what the hell did, did they do? Well, they used to use the. Well, in fact, they they would use the initial point of the sunrise position, which would be, and the zero position of longitude. Pre- so time didn't matter to them. Then. Well, it did, but the the, the Greenwich meridian didn't um, had exi- pre-existed the establishment of it being the prime meridian, um, and was used as a navigation meridian from the 15th, 15th century. Okay. Uh, it was and by the British Royal Navy and of course the East India Company for the navigation of the of the East India uh, and then the later the ta- the uh, the tea clippers the China clippers they all had to have points of navigation um, and it was a univ- you know. In 1884, 41 delegates from 25 nations met in Washington D.C. For the International Meridian Conference, and it was at that conference that uh, it was decided by a vote of twenty-two to one, um, with the abstentions being France, who also wanted to be the Meridian, of course they did, uh, and Brazil um, and San Domingo, um, that uh, it would be Greenwich. Yeah. So, but Greenwich had been used. Vive la France. Greenwich had been used for the, for, uh, you know, for, for uh, centuries prior to that as the zero point because it was London, because it was the capital of, uh, at that time of um, world commerce, mm-hmm. and so it, it was a simple decision to take. But then it was ratified, as say, in eighteen eighty four by the, by this um, conference in in Washington D C, 
and um, it's it's used by all nations in the world. Even it, it's even used by, for example, the Chinese, the Islamic, who have their own calendars. You know, whilst whilst they they have their own calendars for years, they their time zones are still conformal to the uh, international time zone system, the prime meridian system um, that we all use. I mean, it's essential. Without this system of time, uh, things like um, our sat- satellite, uh, you know, GPS and the cars wouldn't work. Our mobile phones wouldn't work um, because they have to have links to masts and in- timing code things. Um, you know, the data transfers that go backwards and forwards, even when we make a simple phone call. Mm-hmm. Um, so time is actually incredibly uh, important. And, and what, that's the other thing. Why don't we go to military time? Well, trade commerce is, is the prime driver. In, in the 19th century, when the railways were being established in the UK, every city had its own time. Okay. So, for example... The time in Bristol, England, was different. So midday in Bristol was later than it was in um, uh, London because Bristol is so many degrees to the west of the world. So um, it, it, midday would be about 15 minutes after the, you know, the, the highest zenith of the sun, which dictated midday. It's about 15 minutes later in Bristol than it would be in London. But they realised that um, this, this caused a huge problem with the railways. And um, what they what they did in the UK is they they produced something called railway time, which was the first standardisation of right. time yeah. inside a country. And that was so that a train leaving London or Edinburgh that was or Bristol, in the United States, yeah, people could have a uh, a, a unified timetable. Mm-hmm. And we we use that you know today. I mean, we celebrate here in the UK. We celebrate uh, midnight New Year's Eve. All at exactly the same time, but in reality, you know, we celebrate in London and Dublin, in Edinburgh, in Bristol, and even out here in West Wales, all at midnight, as dictated by the chimes of Big Ben in London. The same as the ball dropping in New York City um, on the right. west coast, on, on the American coast, east yeah, coast. Exactly. Um, now, in reality, that midnight or New Year's, the first of January. X year falls here in West Wales 22 minutes later because we're so many you know degrees west of London um, but we all have this unified which which has its roots in railway time right and that was in order to simplify the fact that you know uh, stuff had to be put on trains trains had to make journeys they didn't want to bump into each other they needed to arrive and depart at given times they needed to have passengers and freight and it just became convenient for us to box up time and standardize it. Also, in terms that's, of... That's, that's the important thing, too, is, is that all, like conductors and, and engineers all had uh, watches. That that's was right. hugely important in the United that's States right. as well. And I, I'll, I'll wager that many of the American ports and seaports, uh, Boston, New York, uh, have the same, or used to have the same feature that we had in the UK. Many of the major seaports had what was known as a timing gun. So that at one o'clock or at a given time every day, a very large cannon would fire a shot, you know, oh, a bang, cool. that everybody could calibrate the ship's chronometers to. So all of the ships in the harbour, uh, in the port, would hear the gun, and they would know that that was one o'clock or whatever time was. Now, Liverpool, my, my home city, they had the one o'clock gun. 
Edinburgh in Scotland still has, and it's become a tourist attraction now. If you go to Edinburgh, mm-hmm. every day you will hear the firing of the one o'clock gun from Edinburgh Castle, yeah. because they've they've kept it on as a as a ritual, as a, a sort of tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, it was actual it, its actual use was dictated by trade, so that the ship's chronometers could be set to an accurate time, because time is crucial to navigation. And there was a huge competition held in the 19th century in the UK to develop um, a clock that was accurate enough um, whilst at sea that it didn't lose or gain more than a second every three or four days. Mm -hmm. Because knowing the exact time meant that you could work out your longitude Latitude was easy because it was you could measure your latitude by how high the sun was in the sky or mm-hmm. how high the stars were in the sky. But in order to know your longitude, how far east or west you were of the prime meridian, you had to know the time at the prime meridian. And so, right. and so there was a there was a very famous competition. It resulted in a film and books called Longitude about a series of clocks that were made. Um, these accurate ship's chronometers, and that's why people collect ship's chronometers because they are the most accurate. They had to be the most accurate clocks. Mm-hmm. You know, in the days of mechanical, before we had quartz movements, and now we have atomic clocks in the satellite mm-hmm. navigation system. And in fact, time is crucial to GPS in our cars. Exactly. Because- so, anyways, uh, going back to, I think we beat it in time. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I been, didn't answer yeah. the second part of my question. Which, which was, was uh, I didn't have time. Right. Ah, that's so funny. Uh, is there ghosts? Any ever been a research uh, study on, on on ghost activity at the time, prime meridian? Uh, Not that I'm aware of. Um, okay, uh, just curious. I, I, I know that there have been studies looking at ghosts or hauntings around ley lines. Yeah, ley lines have, have always and been. Yeah. Whether you know whether there is a preponderance of hauntings um, along ley lines, but. No, not along the Meridian so, line. Ray lines are pretty much. How do I say this? Uh, well, they're terribly new age, aren't they? Yeah, they're, they're pretty much man-made because mostly they're lines that connect the the great the great what uh, uh, what do you call those things? Uh, God, the, the great like the pyramids and Stoneheads, the great. Uh, oh, I don't even know what to call them. I thought of it two minutes ago. Sacred sites. I think all sacred sites sacred sites in the world so uh i mean even you and i when we we, we did uh the old mats uh we, we know about the rock in the back uh where uh was it thoreau used to sit and, and write and it sat on top of a ley line and that's where you get his inspiration well, so. do you know what the, the the interesting thing about ley lines is they are man-made um and it, they didn't really they didn't exist as a concept uh, in Western culture until the 1960s. Um, the first mention of, of the word and the description of ley lines is in the 1920s when a guy called Alfred Watkins wrote a book called The Old Straight Track. Yeah. And it, in it, he, suggest, he, he was pondering this idea. He'd been out for a walk in the country. He was an archaeologist and a historian. And he'd been for a walk in the country, and he, he wondered, well, how did cavemen and the Bronze Age people who didn't have maps and they didn't have compasses, how did they navigate? How did they go to market? How did they mm-hmm. trade? Because there was no doubt that people were trading. You know, there are stones and, right. and artifacts from the Mediterranean found in the UK and vice versa. Yeah, so, so people were trading. 
But how did they find the market sites? How did they get from one place to another? And what he suggested is, well, the easiest way is in a straight line. And the easiest straight line is from point to point. So they would stand in their village and they would see a tall hill in the distance and they would walk in a straight line towards a tall hill. And when they got there, they would look for something else significant in the landscape, a lake or a tree or a rock. And they would then walk towards that. And when they got there, they would... And often a lot of these things joined up in a straight line because a straight line is always the shortest route between two places. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he wrote this down as an idea. He called it the old straight track. And he called it lays because lays meant clearings in a wood in Old English. Mm-hmm. A lay is a clearing in a forest. And uh, over time... Is that L-E-I? L-E-Y-A. An L-E-Y. Okay. So people would, you know, they would beat these tracks through the woodland and call the clearances, these lays to be formed. Mm-hmm. Now, he put that away, you know, he wrote the book and then it was pretty much forgotten about until the 1960s and the hippie movement comes along. And then it's latched upon and linked to energy lines and this idea of earth energy yes, and, and, and also sites. sacred sites and that they mm-hmm. all join up and that there's this earth mm-hmm. energy. Now, there is, you know, the first mention of it really is this hit, you know, it's a hippie creation in the 60s. However, the Chinese um, have a similar, they call dragon lines, yes. which are lines of energy that encircle the globe and also run through individuals on in the basis of acupuncture and mm-hmm. chakra. Um, and they say that, you know, it's not just the energy that runs through the individual and the chakras and the, the acupuncture points but that the, the planet itself is full of these energy lines, which they call dragon lines. Now, the, the two ideas are fairly similar to one another, but they certainly you know, um, resonated with the New Age movement in the 1960s. And, of right. course, that movement, you know, people like, you know, there have been many, many books that claim that where two ley lines meet, the energies higher and the pyramids are built on a ley line and all mm-hmm. the sites oh, are built and then somebody sat down with a ruler and a pencil and drew lots of straight lines through uh, Stonehenge. You hear the, there you uh, go. <laughs> What's interesting is, in a couple of those ley lines, when they were drawing them out, they drew them through um, hospital sites. Mm-hmm. And somebody pointed out to the authors of these ley lines, they said, well, yeah, I, I get your point about you know historic and ancient sites, but that ley line there goes through a hospital which was only built 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And they said, ah, but that's a place of healing in the modern people. Exactly. Uh, in fact, one famous uh, lo- uh, ley line ran through a telephone kiosk. And the authors of the ley line claimed that they'd used the telephone kiosk as it was a, a point of communication. Well, they said it was a point of communications and it had been cited there um, through unconscious knowledge of a need to communicate. Mm-hmm. And, so. And th- yeah, yeah, we can distort reality. And there, there are other lines, too. I mean, I know of a particular one where a series of churches are connected, uh, the steeples of the churches. And, uh, oh, what, what, did they come out as a pentagram? Or I, oh, that, there is, oh, there is a place in, yeah, there's a place I think you're talking about in France. Um, I believe it is, I believe it is. Which, yes. which I think is connected to the Knights Templar, and somebody did, uh, well, produced an interesting diagram. Yeah, that's pretty cool, wasn't it? They'd found that the, the key sites related to, um, I don't, it was, it was, they were trying to say it was related to the Holy Grail, the Song mm-hmm. Graal, yeah, and yeah. that Jesus had come over from 
somewhere in the Middle East and he'd landed in France and he'd had a kid and then they all hid up in yeah, France and, and get some French fries and blah 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 yeah um, but there was no doubt about there's, it there's, there's other ones too that are pretty cool yeah, yeah. The, site, the sites that they'd chosen um, were actually now what they had obviously chosen the sites but yeah. nonetheless these, ch- these sites were still aligned in a pentagram mm-hmm. a five pointed star um, which was, you know, they said it was a symbol of Mary Magdalene, and therefore it was a secret way of... Uh... Yeah. Now, there have been some modern architects who have used this idea in their buildings and in the constructing mm-hmm. their buildings. Um, you know, there have been several modern buildings that have been built... Washington, well, D.C. is supposedly key points are built on a, on a pentagon yeah. as well. But they're built with a not... I think that was... A, yeah, that's the Freemasonry Association. Freemason one, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um but, you know, modern architects have certainly exploited this idea. And, you know, in some cases, um, uh, there's been a sort of tongue-in-cheek element to including, you know, well, we'll build that there and we'll put that there and we'll have that one facing that one. And that'll uh, be perfect. Yeah. And that'll it'll, be, it'll mess with somebody. Yeah, it'll mess with somebody. Or it's just simply, you know, a nod to some ancient idea or, or belief that they've um, encountered or read about or... Or, or, or simply want to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, man is always doing that. You know, people look for great mysteries in Stonehenge or the fact that, you know, the, they couldn't put the pyramids together without spaceships. Mm-hmm. But I think I think we underestimate our own abilities to do stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, we are an incredibly um, productive, inventive race of people, you know, of, of, of species. Well, I know that we're coming down to the, the last few minutes of the show, and, and I did want to mention, because you and I uh, have both enjoyed this terribly, which is The X-Files and, and a special episode that just played. Isn't, it, isn't it good? Right. And uh, for those who don't know, of course, X-Files came back uh, with a much older Mulder and uh, what's her name? Anyway. Scully. Uh, Scully, thank you, dear. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, anyways, they, they had this great episode on the Mandela effect, right? They did, or, or the, I don't want to say, we don't want to give away a spoiler for anybody who hasn't seen the series, but the Mengele effect. Okay. <laughs> but it was, it was, because the Mandela effect is something we talked about in the show quite recently. This mm-hmm. idea that people believe something um, has changed, that, that the that the past has altered in some way from how they remember it. They might remember um, a serial box or a film in a particular way, and when they come to look at the the actuality of it, it's, it's different. different. And they believe that it's changed. Some people point a finger at CERN, uh, the big uh, particle accelerator in Switzerland. Oh, right, right, oh, that's that's obviously created a black hole and changed time. Some people blame the Illuminati and Freemasonry and all manner of other people. But there are hundreds of videos on this Mandela effect. How it got its name is from the idea that there were many, many thousands of people around the world who believed that Nelson Mandela, who later became the uh, president of South Africa, mm-hmm. died while he was imprisoned on Robin Island, um, and they have no, and they remember his funeral, a big state funeral for him, blah 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 blah. Um, but that he died while still a prisoner of the South African government, whilst on Robin Island. In actual fact, he didn't. He came out. He became the president of South Africa, mm-hmm. uh, and, and died many years later. But they have this absolute rigid memory of it being what, how they remember it. 
and so the 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 effect became known as the Mandela effect. Um, and if people want to, to see some amusing videos when they get bored of flat Earth videos, if you Google some of the go onto YouTube and search for some of the Mandela use the president's name M A N D L A D M A N D E L A Mandela effect. And you will. Oh, I know. Uh, two L's, I think. Yeah, okay. It doesn't matter, YouTube will still get it. But yeah. there are some incredibly interesting videos um, to pass, you know, a few hours with your board. Mm-hmm. So, the Mandela, what, a lot of people, like you mentioned the accelerator, but a lot of people believe that, that it's, it's really what? That we're in a different dimension? Uh, it's been, yeah, there's some people that believe. I was watching a guy um, on YouTube, <laughs> I mean, slightly related to the Mandela effect, and he's from your neck of the woods. He's from Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, and he, spent, like. he, he spends his days outside in the backyard uh, with a video camera, videoing aircraft going into Boston Logan. Thanks um, to me. And he's come up with this whole idea that, that uh, kerosene, uh, aviation and jet engines don't run on anything but compressed air and the pet, that gasoline is a hoax. Um, and that these big airliners uh, are staying up by, by the power of, and I'll quote him, levitation. Um, oh, because, okay. because, well, you just go watch his videos. Um, oh, and, interesting, no. Yeah, the guy is a complete, he's probably been to many of your um, events. Yeah, your events and uh, yeah, probably took my class, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he's a complete. <laughs> but nonetheless, he's, he's a, the thing. Is, the, what's interesting though about these videos isn't you know it's easy to laugh at the person and you know they are slightly ridiculous to my way of thinking, you know, to other people's way of thinking. But this person has this as a genuine belief. And I find it fascinating that people can latch on to Flat Earth and Mandela Effect and the fact that aeroplanes run on levitation and not gasoline uh, or kerosene. Um, you know, it, it's a fascinating insight into people. Mm. And people are the root of all paranormal experiences. So we have to study people. That's the key. I mean, and we started off the show talking about that. Is that um, the experience is the important thing uh, in, in a haunting, and yeah. w- without it, you really don't have a haunting. So, but we can also see how the witness itself affects the experience. And. That's why the study of people is just as important as the study of the haunting, because they are our only real insight into what happened, because they were there, they had the experience. We didn't, um, unless, of course, we're a primary witness, but Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have the experience. This is true. And we're going to be talking about the sort of in search of things um, in the fall. That's right, at uh, Spur Quest, which is... September 28th, 29th, and 30th. And uh, tickets will go on sale by the end of the week. And we've already uh, got a great lineup. Uh, on, oh, let me see if I can pull that. Do I have time? We have, what, two minutes? Yeah, we got time. 
We go, okay, well, yeah, it's easy for you to say you have to find the freaking page. Well, just give them the web address for, uh, isn't it, any New England no, Post there is, there is no web address. That's the interesting thing. Well, can people get to the Spirit Quest Facebook page? Well, no, Spirit they Quest, can't. Can they get to it from the Any Ghost Project page? They can get nowhere. Oh. It's well, how do all... I keep seeing... How do I keep seeing updates then on Facebook of all the events that are going on to Spirit Quest? That is because you are in this closed group. Oh. But to give you an idea of some of the stuff that's going on, and uh, I'm going to rush to it because we still have a lot of meta. So, is and I'll start with uh, my co-host here, Mr. Uh, Steve Parson. He'll be doing in search of the Loch Ness monster, which is good. and in search of time. And time slips. We also will be having Jeff Belanger in search of New England legends, which is cool. And another guy from your, another bloke from your part of the neck of the woods, uh, Mr. Dylan Jones, in search of the 10 most haunted castles in Britain. And in search of the teller of curious tales. Ooh, there you go. Love. And yours, yours truly will be uh, in search of the crystal skulls. Is a good which I'm kind of excited about. Uh, we also you should have, do In Search of Ghosts. That'd be good. That's coming up. In Search of uh, Bigfoot by Ken DaCosta. So we have Bigfoot. We've got Loch Ness Monster. In Search of Ghosts, which will be, uh, of course, Maureen and myself. And we'll talk about uh, some of the cases in our new book that's coming out. And so, what about your co-host from The Next Generation? Oh, there's more. In Search of... Oh, there's a twos. Uh, the missing missing epitaph. All right, and we gotta go. And don't forget quantum spoon bending. Anyways, we gotta go. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Good night. God bless. Good night. God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good lord.